And we'll get to that later as well. And that later is now. Because I need, when you're not certain on one, you always want to bring a second. And so, anybody ever seen one of these before? <laughs> one person? Before me, before me. You've seen them before? Okay, Bob, of course, Bobby, you've seen everything, right? You and Julie. And so, uh, as Stephen and Ari was talking a, me- a little bit about their missions uh, journey, calling ministry out there in Columbia, I really felt like the Lord was impressing me to talk a little bit about uh, serving in a message that I've entitled, The Lifeblood of the Local Church. You see, every church is made up of individual Christians, or rather, I should actually say, individual Christians actually make up the church. And so with that, it's been my experience that every local church sort of has a distinct mission, vision, purpose in their local community. For instance, the church my wife grew up going to out there at Woodland Hills Baptist Church in Newcastle, Oklahoma. It's pastored by Bruce Christian, which is cool. Pastor Bruce Christian, Christian pastoring a Christian church is pretty, you know, you can't ask for a better name, right? Well, their church, their mission, it seems, their objective in their community is a church for the broken people. People that are going through tragedies, trials, pains. And that's sort of who they minister to as well. Up there in Rapid City, South Dakota, when we were attending First Baptist Church, uh, that church really seemed to be geared towards helping the homeless community. There's a big homeless community out there in the city, a lot of the natives and things like that. And so what they would do is they had a food pantry. They had meals every, every week for anybody to come. And then they also, every month, they would serve at the local soup kitchen. And I've never met more grateful people in my life than that time we were serving in the soup kitchen helping to feed the homeless. Just the fact that people were able to serve them, talk to them as if they're just regular people because they are regular people. But so many times we get in the habit of looking at the homeless people and and looking at them as if they're some other type of human. And so I've never met more grateful people in my life than that particular time when we were serving at the soup kitchen. Here at Open Door, it seems like our church focus and mission and vision is really, well, obviously captured in our DNA here, but it's very much centered around missions and biblical preaching and teaching the truth. It's funny, it seems like we're a missionary church in two fronts, not only in the fact that we heavily support missionaries like Driving Ministries and Stephen and Ari Jones to Columbia, but also it seems like Open Door has this habit, this record of building people theologically, and then all of a sudden, the Lord is calling them other places. And so it's sort of like we're training people up into the scriptures, and then the Lord just moves them. So we can really look at this as a missional church in a couple fronts. But you see, every church, I believe, has its own unique purpose, mission, and vision. And for a while there, when I first started looking in the pastorate, I was wondering, why are churches tax-exempt? Why do they have the tax-exempt status? Well, one of the main reasons that a church receives a tax-exempt status is because the betterment they provide to the community. The fact that they give towards the community, they invest in the community, they serve the community, the nation, the world. And so that's one of the reasons why churches are able to receive a tax-exempt status, because of the money that comes in is really given back out to the community through benevolence, serving, love, ministry, missionaries, and things like that. So churches play a vital role within their own community. You see, it's sad to say that many churches have closed their doors, though, for various reasons. A survey was done or a study was done a couple years back that showed that 4,500 churches have closed their doors while 3,000 have opened. And so there's this continuing trend that more churches are shutting down 
than are being planted and opening. And a church that closes down means that there's less of an investment into the community, into serving the people in the city, the town, the nation, less of a missional focus around the country and around the world, and a loss of connection to one another through fellowship. We've seen that clearly through the COVID pandemic in this self-isolation and the degradation of just human connection and social interactions that had happened. So why do churches close? Well, really, in my studying, there's been about two main reasons why churches shut down their, their doors. One is the loss of focus on its purpose. And the other, the church is merely just drifting along, not really doing ministry inside the church or outside the church as well. And so because of the lack of their purpose and the lack of their drifting, people have nothing left to give. The people and the pastor that are serving are burnt out. There is no progress in establishing a healthy church environment. You see, those churches that shut down, I believe they would do well in heeding Paul's words here in 2 Timothy chapter number 1, uh, verse number 6, where Paul writes, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. You see, here Paul tells Timothy that he is wanting him to stir up the gift of God. And it's two phrases in this verse I want to focus on this morning. With that first one, where Paul tells Timothy, the gift of God, which is in thee. You see, here what Paul is not talking about, Paul is not talking about the free gift of eternal life that is in Timothy. At least contextually, that is not what he's speaking of. Now, it's true that once we look at the cross, we realize our need for a Savior due to the sin that separates us from a holy and righteous God. That we look at the cross and we realize Jesus paid the price for our sins and that only by his death, burial, and resurrection and our belief in that to cover our sins, can we have that free gift of eternal life? And so, but Paul is not talking about that. What Paul is talking about here is a spiritual gift that God has given him once he got saved. Do you realize that God has given you, as a Christian, a spiritual gift? You see, Scripture tells us in passages in the fact that the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons why I believe the Holy Spirit is a third person, he has personhood, the reason why we call him he, is because he has volition, he has free will. And we are told in Scripture that he, the Holy Spirit, gives spiritual gifts with whosoever he desires, willfully. So naturally the question is, what are some spiritual gifts that Scripture talks about? Well, we read the list in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read some off real quick. You have prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy, as well as gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, discernment, speaking and translating of various languages, administration and helping aid, as well as different offices that were gifted to certain Christians within the church. What my intention today is not to go into each of these spiritual gifts, but what I want to reveal is the fact that our use of our spiritual gift is truly the lifeblood of our church. You see, it is vital for our congregation, and the lack of you and I not using our gift is detrimental to our congregation. You see, it doesn't matter whether you have a flashy gift or whether you have one that somebody might consider a behind-the-scenes type gift. It doesn't matter what your gift is because God gave it to you for a specific reason. You see, 
this was in my notes, but Brock came up with a beautiful car this morning. I'm drawing, I would tell Brock, you're uh, leading me to envy, you know. But uh, when you look at cars like that, or Matt's car, or Bill's car, or Josh's car, these types of cars, what's the first question? How much horsepower it got, right? That's the first question. So whenever you ask that question, people naturally just think of the engine. How much power is in the engine? Well, really, the engine gets all the credit, but what's not realized in the accumulation of horsepower is a good Borla catback exhaust system or a full exhaust system, the fact that you've got thrush headers, the fact that you have a K&N cold air intake, things like that, that all contribute to the amount of horsepower that the car produces, let alone a, a 95 millimeter or above throttle body that allows more air to come. See, I know a little bit about cars, but only because I'm working on my car as well. And so we see the engine and we think the engine has all the credit, but really there's a lot of things that go into the engine that a lot of people don't even think about. That's similar to what happens in many churches when we're looking at spiritual gifts. Even sometimes within ours that some people think their spiritual gift may not be as important as another's because they think, oh, it's just a behind-the-scenes gift. It's nothing flashy. That couldn't be farther from the truth. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, he writes about this same issue. For he says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the car, uh, ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee, nay. Much more, these members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. You see, 2,000 years ago, when Paul wrote this letter to the church of Corinth in, second, in 1 Corinthians, they were having the same issue. Oh, I don't have the gift of prophecy. I don't have the gift of translating languages, things like that. And so he's telling them they all need to work with in unison. But yet too many times we focus on the showy gifts and we neglect those behind-the-scenes type gifts. I, I want to illustrate this. It's been a long time since I've done this. Do me a favor. Stick out your right arm. Don't hit the person next to you, but stick out your right arm, okay? With your arm, pat yourself on the head. Pretty simple, right? All right, let, let's try it again. Stick out your right arm. Don't bend your elbow. Try to pat yourself on the head. Kind of difficult, huh? Kind of impossible. You see, while the hand and the arm gets all the credit, guess what? It can't really function well without the joints of the elbow. So while we tend to forget the elbow, we don't even know what this little part's called inside the elbow as well because, hey, it's not really important, right? Wrong. The joints are just as, as vital as the parts that people think do all the work. Again, too many times, Christians, we, even sitting here, may think that our gift that God has given us may be unimpressive or the fact that maybe we wish we had a different gift. Maybe I could be up here teaching, or maybe I can go out there leading, or whatever the case is. God has given you the gift he wants you to have for his purpose. I struggled with this. When I first, you know, I've done, you know, personnel for 20 years in the military, and when I came to church, you know, I, I really had to battle the gift of administration that God has given me. I, I know, you know, Pastor Cody can attest to this. You know, I, I struggled with it. 
you know, administrative pastor. It's like, at the time it was like, really? But I've come to learn that's a gift God has given me. The ability, the giftedness to have structure, to have organization. I fell into this trap as well, thinking, you know, administrative, eh. but I was so wrong in that. And so thankfully, I have people like Pastor Cody and Pastor Ken and Matt just, you know, give me my coloring book and just tell me to color. Those in the military know what I'm talking about. But it's not unique to just you. It's unique to all of us. You see, the Swaffords and us have a, have a Christmas tradition, if you will. Every year for Christmas, we'll get together at somebody's house. It will have a dinner, we'll have fellowship, we'll exchange gifts, you know, and me and Matt will give gifts, Rebecca and, and uh, Michelle will give gifts, and then Alyssa and Lauren will give gifts. It's great. You know, there was one, this, one year early on in our, like, relationship, friendship, I was trying to get to know Matt a little bit. And so we're up at Cracker Barrel, and, and I caught him this really cool Marine Corps shirt. He's a prior Marine. It, it, this shirt was cool. It had the logo on it. It had a lot of graphic designs. It even smelled like blood and guts because it was the Marine Corps, right? Oorah! He got me a coin sorter. <laughs> he got me a coin sorter. So I was talking about... It, it was interesting. You, you know, you, you don't even have to say some things sometimes. It's just, it's written all over your face. It was definitely practical for the seven coins that I had, you know. But I never valued the gift the way it was meant to be valued. So what did I do? I ended up putting it in my closet, you know. And if I got bored one rainy day, I'd find a bunch of coins. And I'd just, ooh, that's pretty cool. You know, ASMR type stuff, right? And so, but I didn't value it. Why didn't I value it? Because I personally, at that time, I didn't see a need or a purpose in it. I was too focused on what he had as opposed to what he gave me. And because of that, I just threw it in my closet and didn't really pay attention to it. It wasn't until years ago, after the fact that my wife was working at River Region Pregnancy Center, formerly known as Grace Place, and and my kids would go up there and they'd help sort through the coins. You know, the baby bottles that you could fill up at Pregnancy Center with all the coins? They'd spend hours up there counting hundreds of coins and hundreds of dollars. Guess what would have came in handy? Matt knew something I didn't know. And so I felt bad. And so I didn't cherish what Matt has given me at that time. And that's clearly what we're looking at this morning. Too many times we focus on what the other person has, and we don't really focus on what God has given us. We realize the benefit, the usefulness that our gifting can help other people. If you're one of those that wish your giftedness was something else, or that you believe your gift is lackluster, comparative speaking, then what essentially you're saying and what I said with the gift of administration is the fact that, God, you were wrong giving me this gift. I don't want this. I don't think it's purposeful. And in essence, when I said that, I was telling God, you're wrong. Now, does God make mistakes? Of course not. Does God know what he's doing? Of course he does. If the gift of administration I was struggling with led me to leave this church, Pastor Cody and Pastor Ken would be having fun trying to organize this church. I love them, but they will say in themselves, Erica's like, you know, they're not organized, you know, here at the church. But 
uh, but I can't do a lot of the things they do. So the first thing I want us to think about is the fact that as a Christian, we have a spiritual gift. If you know what your spiritual gift is and you don't think it's something very valuable, you're wrong. Whether you're young, old, rich, poor, married, or single, you all have a unique gift and purpose from God to be an encourager, a financial giver, one who serves, one who has strong faith to overcome trials of life and be a beacon of hope, and much more. See, that's the thing about spiritual gifts. They're not for the individual person. Our spiritual gifts are for others. You see, we see this in numerous times with Paul and Peter in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says that the using of our gifts are to profit one another. Ephesians 4.12 tells us that the gifts are to equip the Christians and encourage the local church, us. And then Peter says that our gifts were to minister to one another. So the spiritual gift you and I have isn't for us. My gift is for you. Your gift is for everybody else in this room. That's what we have to realize about our giftedness to ensure the vitality and the lifeblood of our local church. We are to serve Jesus Christ together by utilizing our giftedness to ensure this church's health, power, and effectiveness of the mission of this church that Pastor Ken believes the Lord Jesus Christ has given him to move forward. You see, churches that are not using their spiritual gifts are often characterized as selfish, lifeless, and ineffective. Knowing that we all have this gift and that it's supposed to be used for us and the community out there, the effectiveness of Open Door is partly dependent upon you and I using our spiritual giftedness. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, please let me know. Let Pastor Cody know. Let somebody know, and we would love to talk to you about it. You see, once we understand this concept that we all have a spiritual gift, I want to look at this second phrase in 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, that thou stir up the gift of God. There's going to be times where you and I are using our spiritual gift and we're just burnt out. We're just so tired, we're exhausted. Maybe we're going through a struggle, a trial of life. The adversary is attacking us. And we just stop. We quit. We put our focus on the me and not on the he. See, those are the moments where we got to remember there's a reason why the gift is in us. Timothy had this same problem as a pastor in Ephesus. Paul had to tell Timothy, I've resonated a lot with Timothy because Timothy needed a lot of encouragement in the ministry. And I'm ashamed to tell you, so do I. And many pastors suffer from a lack of encouragement. There's much more discouragement in this position than there is encouragement. And so I really resonate with Timothy because he had to constantly be encouraged. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Stir up the gift that is in you. What Paul means here when he says to stir up the gift, he's not talking about the aspect of if you have instant coffee, you have a little stir and you got to mix it around, stir it up. That's not what the Greek word really is talking about. The Greek word stir actually brings the idea of kindling a fire stoking a fire, starting or fanning a flame. And that's what he's talking about. If you've ever gone camping before, if you've gone camping with people like Woody or Michael Bryant and people like this, then you know what a campfire is. You see, Michael Bryant, I I, I love you, brother. Michael Bryant, he's the type, he'll cut down half the forest and you don't have to worry about how much firewood you don't have because it's all right there by the campfire. But Michael Bryant gets tired and he goes to sleep. 
And so then you get people like Josiah, you get people like Gabe and, and Pastor Cody and others, Caleb Mace, and they're nine owls, and they stay up till like two, three in the morning. But while they're staying up and talking, guess what? They have to keep feeding the fire wood. They have to keep stoking it, stirring it up. Why? Because if they don't keep putting wood on the fire, it's going to die out. Then the fire is going to go away, and then it's going to be that frosty 40 degrees here in Alabama. It's going to get chilly. Not like the negative 40 where my son's at, but you know what I mean. And so it is very vital to keep stirring up the fire while you are camping. That's what Paul's trying to get across here to Timothy. That Timothy needs to stir up the fire, stir up the gift, rekindle that flame, the giftedness inside of him to get it lit so that by using his gift, he can benefit other people in the church. He's not going to be able to be effective if he's not using his giftedness. So the natural question is, if we have to stir up this gift, when would we need to stir it up? Well, really quite simple. If you've been disconnected from your church or from the people, you need to stir up your gift. If you only come to church to take and never to give, you need to stir up your gift. If you just come to be served and never to serve, you need to stir up your gift. If you come five minutes before the service and leave immediately after the service, no one sees or hears from you the rest of the week until the five minutes before service next Sunday, you need to stir up your gift. We got to realize by not using our gift, our gift becomes stagnant. And dare I say stale because it's ineffective, it's useless, it's not benefiting other people. Our gift is metaphorically sitting in the closet like that coin sorter that was specifically given to you for a purpose God has, but yet you don't value it. You're not using it. If I just described you, then I would encourage you to stir up your gift within you. Pull it out of the closet. What you don't know is if you consider you have one of these coin sorters, there's a lot of people in this church that need their coin sorted, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of people that need the gift God has given you. Oh, I'm just, all I could do is encourage people. <laughs> That's a huge gift. All I really can do is just take down chairs and put them up. That is a huge gift of serving. It's such a blessing every Sunday night when we're done with growth groups. I don't say anything, and everybody there has already put everything up. I'm like, wow, I don't have to do this Monday. This is a huge blessing. So the coin sorter gift you think you may have is blessing so many people we're just allowing the adversary to tell us otherwise so what do we need to do if we need to stir it up how do we do it quite simple he just put it into action know your gift and find ways to use it if your church gift is meant for the church then we need to find out where in the church we can use the gift and when i say the church i don't mean these walls you, you know, this pretty building but i mean our people our congregation if it's meant for us, how can we use it for each other? If your gifting is in the area of serving, where are you serving? We have volunteers needed in junior church, media ministry, nursery, Awana, mowing the yard, setting up and cleaning up after functions, sanitizing, handyman. There's a lot of people that on Facebook, does anybody know how to do this? Right? I'm thankful for all the different trades we have in this church. If your gift is, gift is in leading, are you finding opportunities to lead? If your gift is about encouragement 
Are you lifting people up with a friendly word? Every Wednesday night, we have prayer service. More often than not, we have more prayer requests than we do praises. Your gift of encouragement, gift of prayer, is vital to all of us that are seeking prayer requests. So all these non-showy, behind-the-scenes gifts, quite valuable. You see, what about giving? Some people are received the, the gift of giving. So people are always in need here at this church, whether it's through benevolence and needs that come up, whether it's through support missionaries like Jones to Columbia and things like that. There's always a need for that. So if you have the gift of giving, are you giving? Is there an area that the Lord is asking you to serve, to encourage to exhibit your faith, to use your faith to help others or to financially give. Here's a cold, hard truth. There is never a lack of opportunity to use your gift. There is only a lack of desire. Period. And so the question isn't really, is there anywhere I can actually use my spiritual gift? Because yes, there is. This church isn't me. It's not Pastor Ken. This church is Jesus Christ. And then all of us rallied around, unified, to do what he wants us to do for this community here. It needs all of us. Unfortunately, the 20% of people in a normal church that run the ministries, the 20% that do 80% of the work, they get burnt out. Then when they get burnt out because they're always serving, leading, giving, things like that, things start falling on the wayside. We lose our focus on the community And then our effectiveness degrades. So what I'm encouraging us this morning is to realize the fact that you have a gift inside of you. Don't ask the question, can I be used to help this local body of believers? Ask yourself, when will I help this local body of believers? And that's what I really want to get across this morning. Anybody? I'm thirsty. I'm I'm really, I'm seriously getting dry dry mouth, so I'm going to... I got to get this water going because I'm, I'm thirsty. How, how many people like coffee? I, I'm questioning. I mean, wow, we got some, This is almost like France. France are some coffee-drinking people. I love coffee. I like black coffee. How many people like black coffee? Okay. How many people like the iced caramel latte, vanilla macchiato, almond milk, extra shot of espresso over a medium glass blended and scooped? Is that you? Raise your hand. Something like that. I'm not a foo-foo coffee drinker, but I know some people out there, they like their dessert in a form of a coffee. I like my coffee after my dessert. But you see, the thing I love about coffee is it's really the lifeblood of the workforce. How many people, you know, drink coffee when they go to work? How rough is it Monday mornings when you're trying to get ready to go to work and you haven't had your coffee? Yo, it's when I was in the military and I had to get to work at a certain time. It's weird because you have to wake up to make your coffee to wake up, right? It's just, it's, so I was, I was blessed. I was able to find this coffee maker that actually has an automatic timer. So 6.45, boom, coffee's already made. It smells good. And then I just sit there and I drink it. And I, all I have to do is stumble across. You see, the thing I love about coffee is its simplicity. See, coffee really only needs two things. Coffee only needs water right here. And really, it only needs coffee beans. Now, those that are unfamiliar, coffee beans, they don't look brown like this. Coffee beans are actually green when they're harvested, when they're washed, when they're processed. They smell really good. So what you end up having to do is you have to take these green coffee beans, 
then you got to go ahead and roast them. So depending on how dark or how light you like your coffee depends on the roast level that you roast your coffee. And I tell you, it's something. It is nothing better than smelling fresh coffee beans. And if you're curious, just smell it. Get an amen on that. But you can't do this. What you then need to do is you need to grind them. There's a lot of process, all right? So now you got to grind it. And depending on how fine or how coarse you grind it, Depends on how strong or how weak. Depends on the extraction level. There's a, there's a science to coffee. And then if you're one of those people that weighs your beans and grams and weighs your water, it's, there's a lot to it. And so coffee's simple. All you need is coffee beans and water. Once they're heated up and once they're mixed together, the coffee is infused, that coffee that you drink provides the energy. It provides the support, just the ability to function in the morning. Individually, the coffee by itself and the water by itself doesn't really do the coffee thing, if you know what I mean. Unless you're a guy that I, used to, I was stationed with here at Maxwell, there's a staff sergeant in my squadron. He would drink so much coffee that he would have his heart race. There was a time I actually took him to the ER because he drank so much coffee, he was having a panic attack. I had to take him to the ER. So you know what was funny about that? Is the fact that our first sergeant in the Air Force at the squadron, he ended up telling me, or telling him, he is no longer allowed to drink coffee at work. And so what did he do? Well, this guy thought he could beat the system. This guy ended up taking the ground-up coffee, the Folgers tub, you know what I mean? He ended up taking that, getting a spoon, putting a little bit of grounds in his mouth. So, and then, this guy had the bright idea. He ended up taking a bottle of water, getting a swig of his water with the coffee grounds in his mouth, swish it around, and then he drank his coffee. It was disgusting. But, he, uh, he beat the system, apparently, because he technically wasn't drinking coffee. He was eating coffee grounds, and he was drinking water. Now, I wouldn't recommend it. And yes, he didn't get in trouble for that, because, I mean, after all, that's just, that's disgusting, you know? And so, it, it was funny, needless to say. Why am I talking about this? Well, I want to first talk about different ways to make coffee. So there's many different ways you can make coffee. You can use regular drip pot coffee. You can use cold brew. You can use a Chemex. You can use uh, uh, AeroPress. You can use a French press. You can use a bench press. You can use all these different types. And then you can use what's called a siphon coffee maker. And that's what this is called. Essentially what a siphon coffee maker is, is you have a bottle of alcohol, denatured alcohol underneath here, and obviously you have a wick and you light the wick and it catches a fire. You have this container in which you put the water in. And now this has a built-in safety feature because once you fill the water in, it weighs it down, allowing the lid to remain up and the flame to be a flame. What happens is physics. It took me a long enough time to figure out how to spell the word, so please don't ask, ask me to explain this to you. But physics takes the water, once it's heated, through this silver straw and fills up the glass. Then what happens is once this glass fills up, there's coffee grounds in the bottom. As that hot water 
is mixing up with the coffee grounds, it's getting infused. Now, once it's getting infused, it's making that good coffee nectar that you and I all know and love. But there's one problem. There's a whole lot of coffee grounds in here. If you try to drink out of this glass, you'll be chewing your coffee like that staff sergeant I just told you about, and that's not going to taste good. And so what happens is physics. As this cools off, the water that fills this up gets sucked back into this gold container. And then... With this little spigot, you can turn the spigot on, and you can release the coffee. And so this is quite of a process, as you can tell. But what I want to illustrate this with you is, this morning, you and I, before Christ, we are like this gold container. This gold container is empty, This gold container, if you look at it from the top, you'll see that it has some holes in it. It has holes because something's missing with inside of it. It needs to be filled with something. When you and I look at the cross and we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Water is often symbolized as the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And so when we get saved, we have the water, the Holy Spirit, poured all inside of us. When we get saved, God gives us a spiritual gift in the form of this denatured alcohol. This gift, for many Christians, is closed. The lid is on it. The fire is not lit. And so we're never able to actually use that gift. So what we have to do is we have to intentionally lift up the lid, stir up the flame, the gift that is within us. And once that gift is lit, and it works with the Holy Spirit that's residing within us, it starts processing that coffee. And then once that coffee is used, and those good works that are done through us because of the Holy Spirit enabling us, and the Holy Spirit giving us the gift, that coffee that we've made is now able to bless other people. How many of you like it, if if you're a coffee drinker, you go to somebody's house and the first thing they ask you is, hey, you want some coffee? It's like, oh yeah, I love me some coffee, right? We had some coffee over at Johnny and Kaylee's yesterday. So the point of the fact is, this may not be working out as it did the six times I ran it through yesterday because it's still up there. But the point is, what I'm trying to get across, we have that gift. We have the indwelling of our spirit of the Holy Spirit. Unless we purposely light that fire, stir up that gift, we will never be able to produce the works that Jesus Christ is wanting to do through us to bless each other. So that's why I have this coffee machine up here, is to illustrate that simple truth. You see, with that being the case, as a church, we can get so much accomplished completely for this church and for Jesus Christ if we all use our individual gifts. So this week, I want to ask you, spend time in prayer and thinking, God, what is my spiritual gift? God, am I using my spiritual gift? God, where in the church can I use my gift to bless other people? 
our spiritual gifts and their use is truly the lifeblood of the effectiveness of Open Door Baptist Church. Proper use of our gifts grants the health and vitality of our church so we can contribute to what God is doing in the community. Therefore, we've got to stir up the gift that is within us. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this this morning, this message. I thank you just for these people that have been here and just spending time out of their day, their morning to worship you and just be encouraged by just all aspects of our service. Lord, I pray you would just uh, encourage us, equip us, convict us, and use us uh, to really focus on our spiritual giftedness if we're using them for your honor and your glory. And Lord, for those of us that are, I pray, Lord, you just continue to give us the endurance and the perseverance to keep charging forward and serving you uh, with our gifts. God, I thank you for this morning and pray you just uh, bless us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's all stand. We'll sing page 400 in your hymnal. Take my life and let it be. Hey!